Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Relationships are important, right? Family relationships are important, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, how Jesus came for relationships. We've been looking at the reasons why Jesus came as we look through different passages in the New Testament. And we've been uh, looking at Jesus came as an offering for sin. We also looked at Jesus humbled himself to come. And then Jesus came to save sinners. And today we're going to look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4 and explore how Jesus came for relationship. So I'll read our text for today. What was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The Word of God. Have you ever been uh, put in a box by somebody else? I don't mean a literal box, I mean a metaphorical box, where like someone thinks they know you, and then as they're talking to you, you're like, that's not really who I am. I'm... I'm more than you say. Okay, you're familiar with this. I, I, I looked online, and um, I find that a lot of musicians and a lot of people in the film industry and a lot of even athletes are quoted saying, it's like, I don't want to be put in a box. Like, I found this article about the rapper Nelly, and he's like, I don't want to be put in a box with the style of music that I'm asked to perform. And then there was an actress named America Ferreira, and she said, I don't want to be typecast. I don't want to be put in a box about the type of actress I'm supposed to be when I'm on the screen. Uh, I'm more than that. I'm more than the box that you put me in. And it's not fun to be put in a box because you know that you're more than the person who's put you in the box thinks you are. You know that you're more and that they don't understand all of who you are. Not, Not only that, but you get the sense, if you've ever felt like someone's putting you in a box, you get the sense that they don't really want real relationship with you because they're trying to categorize or minimize who you are. Now, here's the interesting thing. As we think about Christmas, uh, Jesus was literally born and literally put in a literal box, a manger. A manger was basically a box. Jesus was put in a box when he was born. Um, But too often, we keep him in in a metaphorical box. In other words, we kind of box in who he is. We don't take him for all that he is. Now, when John writes this passage, that's exactly what he's getting at. He's writing to his original hearers who have tried to put Jesus in a box that matches the prevailing ideas about spirituality of their day. Now, for us, what can we learn from that? Well, we try and put Jesus in a box as well. Here's how we do it. Uh, Jesus comes out at Christmas And then we put him back in the box the rest of the year. Uh, As if Jesus is only some myth and not an actual historical person. As if he's sort of something that goes on a Hallmark card and that's it. We we can put Jesus in a box the rest of the year. 
Another way that we can put Jesus in a box is we, we'll say, hey, Jesus is a great teacher, or he's a spiritual influencer. But we don't follow his teaching, or we don't let him influence us. That's keeping Jesus in a box. Even more than that, we might let Jesus influence part of our life, but not all of our life. We might keep him in a box for certain areas of our life, but not let him have his way in all areas of our life. And when we do that, we put him in a box. We don't know him as he really is, and we limit our relationship with him. But here's what we gather from this passage today. Jesus came relationally. When Jesus came into the world, he had relationships. And he comes relationally so he could be known as he is. But then when he comes to be known as he is, the reason that he comes is that so you and I could be in relationship. Jesus came relationally so he could be known as he is, but he he came to be known as he is so you and I could be in relationship. Let's break that down. First of all, Jesus came relationally. What does it say in verse 1? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have observed and touched with our hands. The Apostle John is saying, we saw Jesus laugh. We heard him tell jokes. We saw tears running down his face. We know what he thought was funny. We, we know his teaching. We know what makes him angry because we were there. We've seen him. We touched him. We heard him. We were there when he fed 5,000 people. We were there when he walked on water. We were there when he cast out demons. We were there when he showed compassion on the widow of Nain and raised her son from the dead. We were there. We saw it. We heard it. We touched him. We, we touched the nails, the nail scars on his hands. We were in relationship with Jesus. And we knew him as he is. We really knew him. We, didn't, we weren't able to put him in a box because he wasn't boxable. Look at what John says in verse 1 and 2. If you back out a little bit, it says, What was from the beginning? The word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. So John has already told us that Jesus has come relationally, but when he came relationally, they were able to know who Jesus really was. And who he really was, was life. John says that he was from the beginning. That's echoes of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is telling us Jesus was at the creation of life because he was the creator of life. But then he also says that he's the word of life. And what John means by that is if God's speaking, it is about Jesus. Jesus is the message of God. But then he also says eternal life. And now when we hear hear eternal life in the church, we tend to think about going to heaven after we die and living forever. And that's part of it. But when John uses the term eternal life, he doesn't necessarily mean an infinite quantity of life. He means a quality of life. In other words, it's not just about going to eternity when you die. It's about God's eternity breaking into the now. It's about the kingdom of God breaking from heaven through Jesus into this dark and broken world. So 
John is saying that Jesus is the eternal life. He is God's life breaking through into the darkness. We read earlier that Jesus is light. And he's light and he's life. And he wants to be known as light and life to you. N.T. Wright says this, Jesus is life as it is meant to be. Life in its full, vibrant meaning. A life which death tried to corrupt, thwart, and kill, but a life which had overcome death itself and was now on offer to anyone who wanted to come and take it. Life itself had come to life, had taken the form of a human being, coming into the present from God's future, coming to display God's coming age. And the name of that life in person is, of course, who? Jesus. Jesus came relationally, known by the apostles, so that he could be known as life itself. Life itself. John says here in this verse that he was revealed. God's life was revealed in the person of Jesus because Jesus was God in person. Jesus was the God-man. The only one that's ever existed. Perfectly God, perfectly man, fully God, fully human. All that in a box in Bethlehem. In a manger in Bethlehem, Jesus, the God-man, was put in a box in Bethlehem, and yet you can't put him in a box. Knowable, touchable, you can see him. At the same time, he is life itself. How do those things go together? Well, our friends, if you have friends who are Muslim or you're Muslim, it's a challenging thought for them because for many Muslim people, Jesus or God is distant but not near. So God is so different than us, he would never condescend himself to come near. So this idea of God coming near in the person of Jesus is almost unbelievable. But if you have friends who are maybe from a Hindu background, they might actually believe that God is everywhere in everything. But therefore, God isn't knowable because he's not personal. If God is everything and everywhere, he's in everything that's created, his presence is there, then he's not actually not a person. Christianity offers something unique where it says, when Jesus come, a a one-time event happened where God, who's distant and far, comes near and he's knowable. And you could hear him laugh and you could see him cry. That's who Jesus was. It's amazing to think about. I mean, if God came in person, uh, Alanis Morissette sang the song, If if God Was One of Us, if you remember that song from the 90s. Um, But if God came, wouldn't you want to be able to actually see him? If God came, wouldn't you want to be able to actually shake his hand and hear him talk and know what upsets him and know what brings him joy and hear his voice, hear his accent? Wouldn't you want him to be relatable and knowable? John's saying, that's exactly who Jesus is. He he was knowable, and we did know him, and it was exhilarating. There's this great moment in the original Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, which is, in my opinion, the best ones. I don't want to start any fights, but that's what I think. And uh, that movie's been out for like 25 years, so I'm not going to give anything away. If you haven't seen it by now, it's your own fault. But uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, 
Peter Parker is in love with Mary Jane, and Mary Jane's in love with Spider-Man. She doesn't realize that Peter Parker and, and uh, Spider-Man are the same person. And so Peter's talking to Mary Jane and says, hey, I know Spider-Man, and I've told Spider-Man about you. And Mary Jane goes, oh, what, what did you say? Like, what did you say to Spider-Man about me? And Peter, in love with Mary Jane, says, he says, I said, uh, Spider-Man, I said the great thing about Mary Jane is when you look in her eyes and she looks back in yours, everything feels not quite normal because you feel strong and weak at the same time. You feel excited and at the same time terrified. The truth is you don't know the way you feel except you know the kind of man that you want to be. It's as if you've reached the unreachable and you weren't ready for it. The Apostle John is not talking about falling in love with a woman. He's talking about looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ and how it's changed him forever. And he's trying to tell us, I I can't explain it all to you, but I looked into the Son of God's eyes. I'm not making this up. I spent three years with him face to face. I slept next to him. I ate with him. I journeyed with him. And it has changed me forever. Looking into Jesus Christ's eyes, there is nothing like it. And I'm forever different. And he was because he's writing this 50 years after he experienced Jesus Christ. He's telling us, I have seen the Son of God. And I want you to know him too. In verse 3, he says, what we have seen and what we have heard we also declare to you. In, in other words, John wants us to accept his testimony. John wants us to hear that he's looked into the eyes of Jesus Christ, and it is absolutely life-changing. And he wants us to accept that as well. He wants us to know Christ. He, he wants us to accept his testimony, not as blind faith, but as faith based on facts. Many people think that a relationship with Jesus is simply blind faith. The Bible never presents it that way. The Bible presents relationship with Jesus as faith based on facts. Facts, historical evidence, eyewitness testimony. John is using poetic language in the passage that we're reading, but his point was, we saw this happen. And 50 years later, when he writes this message, it still has not been disproven because it happened. If you notice throughout the Bible, when people talk about relationship with Jesus, it is based on the eyewitness testimony of people who were there when he died, who were there when he rose again, who were there when he ascended into heaven. In fact, Paul will tell us in the book of Corinthians that 500 people saw him and heard him once Jesus had risen from the dead. And John is inviting us into a relationship with Jesus, not based on blind faith, but faith based on facts, faith based on eyewitness testimony, faith based on historical evidence. And John wants us to embrace this because Jesus is life himself, the life of God, the life of eternity, the message of God, the one who defeats death. This is Jesus. And John feels so strongly that Life is only found in Jesus that later in his letter, he'll say this in in chapter 5, verse 12. He'll say, the one who has the Son has life. 
But the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son does not have life. Jesus came relationally so he could be known as known as life, known as the second person of the Trinity, God himself, known as Emmanuel, the Messiah. Jesus came relationally so he could be known as he is, but he came to be known as he is so you could be in relationship. A relationship of shared life. Look what John says in verse 3. He says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Why? So that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that that word fellowship is a biblical word for relationship. But it's like relationship on steroids. So in our culture, you might have, like, on the spectrum of relationship, you might have, like, liking someone's Facebook post, right? That's way over here. And then, like, you meet them in real life. And then you're an acquaintance. And then you're a friend. But when John uses the word fellowship, it's way down here. And John is saying that we are participants together with God. We have a common life. We're actually participating in what God is doing in the world. That's the type of relationships we gain through Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 1.4, Peter writes, you might share in the divine nature. Same word, fellowship, right in there in the Greek. And what Peter's telling us is that we don't become God, but we are in such deep relationship with God that God's character, it infects us. We become like him. God is righteous and we become God righteous. God is loving and he shares his love with us so that we become loving. God is just, and so then we become just like God. We have this shared life with God. We have fellowship with him. We have relationship on steroids. But then that also means a shared life with each other. That word, fellowship, shows up in the very first church. In Acts 2.42, right after Pentecost and right after the very first church had ever formed, it says that the, the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. In other words, they devoted themselves to this relationship on steroids. And they did. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that they sold their property in order to make sure that everyone was fed. You'll see that they, that they made space for the weakest and the most vulnerable people in their church so they, they wouldn't get excluded. It wasn't acquaintances. It was shared life. It was fellowship. It was deep, deep relationship. Jesus came relationally so he could be known as he is, but he came to be known as he is so that you and I could be in relationship. With God and with each other. With God and with each other. And John is so convinced by what he sees, he's inviting us to participate in the story of Jesus. He's inviting us not to put Jesus in a box, but to take Jesus as he really is. Because for John, it has been so life-changing. But the amazing thing about what John ends this passage with is he says, it really won't be it for me unless you join in this with me. 
In verse 4, John ends our passage by saying, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In other words, there's so much delight. There's so much love in Jesus Christ. There's so much relationship. There's so much that he is that we can't be fully happy unless you're in on this with us. And that's what we're called to do. Not to put Jesus in a box, but to believe in everything that he is and to participate together with him. See, to to really get Christmas, if you want to really understand what Christmas is about, you have to take Jesus out of the box that you put him in and recognize that he came relationally so that he could be known as he is. But then that calls us into a deep relationship and participation with God and with each other. And in that, we experience the joy of knowing him together. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.